The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, welcome back to Everybody is Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf review podcast where we work our way through every episode of Red Dwarf in order and we are up to series seven. Uh, the us in question is usually myself, Phil Hawkins, long-term fan of the show, been watching since the 90s, and Adam Martin. Hello, Adam. Hello, that's me. Apologies, view, uh, listeners, if I sound a little lower or a bit hoarse today. Uh, we're recording this in December. I'm currently in the middle of a very intense Christmas performing gig, so yes, that's why I might sound a few octaves lower, but yes, I am here. It's a sultry, uh, sort of like uh, <laughs> Stop deep, it. sultry voice. <laughs> I feel like I should be advertising, you know, like posh coffee brands, you know. like Yes, or M&S food. <laughs> M&S food, there you go. I'll <laughs> there get you go. the ad reads now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and occasionally we have a guest reviewer on the show as well, and this week is one of those weeks. We uh, welcome Jimmy to the show. Hey, Hello, man. Jimmy. This isn't just a Red Dwarf podcast. It's an M&S Red Dwarf podcast. (laughs) Sorry. Hello. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Jimmy is a YouTuber who makes videos uh, predominantly about Doctor Who and Doctor Who figures. Um, Predominantly, isn't it? It's mostly about Doctor Uh, Who figures. Pretty much. I think it's one of those things I always say. It's never a Doctor Who channel, but it seems to be 90% of my content. Doctor Who figure videos custom figures review videos lots of lots of other stuff <laughs> yeah basically if you make doctor who videos at all you get classed as a whoTuber that's just it's just the yes, way of the world yeah. we I make doctor who videos Adam makes doctor who videos we all make other videos as well this <laughs> podcast goes up on my channel and yet I am still known as a doctor who youtuber <laughs> I was about to say I was literally about to say I was thinking what would you be what would you be if you were if you were uh, a red dwarf who and I would go, would that be a red tuber? And I was like, no, that's a different thing entirely. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that's, af- that's after dark. That's, that's really after, after dark, dark that's... edition. <laughs> Even and, dwarf uh, tuber sounds like I thought it would that, be something that, but then else. I thought... Are you allowed? Is that allowed? Would that yeah. be allowed? These yeah, days? I guess into trouble somewhere. Yes. <laughs> a, a, a person that does YouTube videos about Red Dwarf, I think that's the nearest you could probably do. <laughs> yes, and there are some uh, really good dedicated um, Red Dwarf channels out there. There are. Um, I haven't found them all, I'm sure, um, but there was there was one called Red Dwarf Nerd, which had some really great videos on. I think I've mentioned his before. He hasn't done any in a while, but. Um, uh, he's got some really good sort of theory videos and stuff, which I quite liked. Um, and then there's, I think, Red Dwarf uh, News, I think, is another one. Uh, so there's so there's some good ones out there that are just purely dedicated to Red Dwarf. Do go seek them out. And if if you are if you have one of them, do leave it in the comments below because we'd love to check it out. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, right, so we are here today to talk about Series 7, Episode 7. We've never had an Episode 7 of a series before. Oh, this is it's an extra long series. Um, yeah. It's called Ep- Epidemi? Is that how I you pronounce it? Epid- Epidemi. Epidemi. I think it's Epidemi, they say in the episode. I could be wrong, but I think in the episode they say Epidemi. I forgot to clock how they pronounced it. Um, I would just go with Epidemi because it's the closest to Epidemic. That makes sense. <laughs> and it's a rather ironically that, sounds, yeah, that we are that recording this in lockdown. Yeah, that sounds and the, the reason we've the reason we've all been ill. <laughs> yes, yeah, quite. Uh, Just before... to point out, we're not ill because we've got coronavirus. No, 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 no,
Before we kick off, as as we always say, uh, me and Phil have two different perspectives. I'm I'm the relative newbie. Phil's been watching this for a long time. But um, Jimmy, where where do you sit with the show? Are you somewhere in the middle, or are you more like Phil, more like myself? I would say I'm definitely closer to Phil. I don't know. I I don't know if I would go seasoned veteran, um, but I <laughs> I would. I'm inclined to say I probably am because uh, showing my age now, I I first saw red dwarf when it came out on television and it was one of those shows that that um it's not a it's not a you know it's not necessarily a family show it is very much a pg show but it was one of the few shows that was slightly more aimed towards adults that me and my sister were allowed to watch Mm. and so we always used to watch it with our parents on a friday or whichever night it was on um, yeah. And it's just been one of those shows that's always been in the background of my memory. And I've seen it, you know, I watched it all on TV. I watched it when it was repeated by the BBC many years back. And then obviously I got it all on DVD as they as it came out. So mm. um, it is definitely one of those shows that uh, I probably know better than I would know other ones. And in some ways... Uh, don't test me on this, please, because I'm going to I'm going to regret saying <laughs> this immediately. Quiz. But <laughs> but I would say it's actually I probably know Red Dwarf better than I know Doctor Who. Ooh. But I put that down to the fact that there's less of it. I was going yeah, to say God, that yeah. there's a lot less to, to memorize <laughs> yes. in Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doctor there's... Who's got what like 800 individual episodes, oh, and Red Dwarf I think is is it like 75, 76, something, something like, like that? that. I don't even think there's I don't even think they ever reached a hundred. No, not yet. No, not, yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, they're still going. They might do one day get there. Although now they're just sort of more making just like the occasional special. It's probably less likely. But yeah. but you never know. You never, you know. never know. You never know. So what can you remember what the first episode of it you watched was? I mean, that's that's a difficult question because I've, I've seen it so many times now that my memory is playing tricks on me because I'll think <laughs> I can remember watching this when I was younger. And I think, but do I remember watching it when I was younger or do I yeah. remember it? But I definitely remember, I have a distinct memory of the original credits of the, you know, as Red Dwarf comes towards the screen and go, and that was definitely, it was just, there's a very definite uh, image in my head of those credits with the mm. with the uh, letters over the top, then it was definitely would have been series two, mm. um, possibly series three. And I'm inclined to say that if it was series two, it would have been a repeat. But mm. given my age and when I would have started watching it, it was probably more likely series three around that time because I always remember Crichton being in it. And so yeah. it makes me think, well, I probably didn't see series one or two because obviously he wasn't in it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, think it was probably yeah. around series three. I, I, I probably started started uh, yeah. watching it. Okay. Yeah, well, you might. You, you started before me then. I think I started watching it live around about series five or six i can't again my memory's a bit vague mm. and then i think i caught others in repeats probably that i think they were repeating a lot in the big gap between series um six and seven when there was that three-year gap yeah when there wasn't had, any new ones i didn't they have a red dwarf night at one point they did they yeah did, and i yeah. think that's where i saw some of the early i think that's where i met i think that might be where i saw the first episode because yeah. I definitely remember seeing the first episode long after it was on TV. Mm. Yeah, and I started this January, so I'm way behind. <laughs> <laughs> ne- catching well, up fast. Never, never too late to start Red Dwarf. <laughs> no, no, I'm doing all right. So as, as I always say to Phil, if I if I wasn't enjoying it, I probably wouldn't be here seven series in. Quite. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so in Epidine, the synopsis reads: the crew come across an abandoned ship with one survivor. 
Caroline Carmen, one of Lister's former crushes. She revives in the middle of the night and infects Lister with the dreaded Epidem virus, which threatens to kill him unless something is done. Yeah, so the first thing I was going to talk about this, this opens with them in the cockpit kind of um, you know, scanning stuff um, and things. And th there's a bit in it where Lister is mocking Kachansky for her enthusiasm about science. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to get your guys' take of this because I don't know. For me, that I hate to start off with a slightly negative, but that really <laughs> that kind of felt a bit. It was only gentle mocking, mm. but it kind of felt a bit mean. Yeah, for, feel free to to you start, Jimmy. Is no, the well, guess, I, so. I mean, I'm just thinking about. It. I think I think mm. it's definitely one of those things that I mean, when obviously when I was younger watching it, it didn't it didn't occur to me. But I um, I think in this, it is a bit. It is a little bit. Uh, mean and I think there is a there is an element of I don't want you know I don't want to get too heavy early on but there is an element of sexism in there but I think I think what I like about it is when you actually look at Kachansky she is she is the you know the nerd there is that stereotypical mocking but when you look at her as a character I mean, not to jump ahead too far, but literally mm. later on the episode, she punches Lister right in the face. So I look at <laughs> yeah. it and think, like, she does get her own back, and she's she's she is a very good example of quite a strong female character. So I think the mocking is a bit it's it is a little bit awkward, but then, like I said, she gets her own back later. So I think it sort of it does make up for it slightly. But I think. It is one of those things that I would label it, you know, it's a, it's a product of its time. It is an example of something that I don't think you would be able to necessarily do today without mm. having some, you know, it'd be like if, if I think if you made that today, Lister would mock Kachansky and then she would mock him right back in some way. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, what one thing I did think about when I was uh, watching it was that it, because there were several scenes in previous seasons where the Lister would say the similar type of things to Rimmer, mm. but I think it hits differently when it's Rimmer as the subject of it, probably for two reasons. One, when Rimmer is trying to be all like, oh, I know about science, he's usually wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and two, <laughs> um, he's usually trying, when Rimmer does it, he's usually trying to do it to act superior to the others, whereas that wasn't what Kachansky was doing. So mm. whereas the exact same scene with Rimmer would have felt a lot different than this one did. And interestingly, I think this was written before they knew that Rimmer was leaving. So I wonder if this scene is a kind of a holdover from that original script. Yeah, quite that possibly. That would make sense in a way, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts on... Uh, I, th I agree with you both in what you're saying. I think for me, though, this whole... The whole cockpit, uh, uh, yeah, cockpit scene for me, if you like, um, it didn't really grab me straight away. Um, like a lot of the uh, the comedy they were going for, just again, I always say, you know, comedy subjective. Some things work for different people. It just didn't really click with me, I suppose. And like the whole, you know, Crichton trying to butt in, because obviously in this series we've had the whole thing of. Um, you know, Crichton's vying with Kachansky about Lister's affections, basically. You know, they've got this, like, rivalry going on. And there's moments later on in this episode where I think that that is better service than in this beginning one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, this opening, it just didn't grab me, basically, this opening scene, personally. Yeah, that that's fair enough. Jimmy, did you have anything you wanted to say about the opening scene? Um, not really. I mean, I, I personally, I quite like those sort of those simple cockpit scenes because it is kind of like, um, 
it's a simple setup to the episode. You know, it, it lets you know where they are. I mean, it's kind of like um, in series six, where the very first episode, they sort of, you know, they after everyone wakes up and they Rimmer's brought back and things like that and he's defrosted, and they all have that moment where they're all sat around the table just talking about what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I like about a lot of the cockpit scenes is it just sort of eases you into the episode saying, right, this is where we are, this is what's happening, bit of banter into the episode. Yeah. But for that the- reason, it is, I can understand why it can be difficult for people to get into it because you look at it and think, why is this here? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we said before that they, they kind of replaced, the, these cockpit scenes have kind of replaced the bunk scenes that we used to get in the earlier seasons mm. where they'd sit around and have their sort of chit-chats and, you know, you kind of roughly get the introduction to the episode and what's going to happen or a little intro sketch or something. That now kind of takes place in the cockpit and not the sleeping area. Kind of just has replaced that. Mm. Yeah. Um, I did like quite like the joke about Crichton um, getting a bachelor of something. I can't remember what it, what it was now. Toilet from University to- or something. From Toilet University, <laughs> yeah. A bachelor of something science, was it? Um, toilet science. No, Laboratorial science. Laboratorial sciences, that was <laughs> <That's> it. <the laughs> <one. laughs> and it turns out to just be a, a program, but he had mm. to do a retin exam to check <laughs> the program was working. It was installed or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but the crew find a ship buried in a glacier, and it is a JMC supply ship, so the company that owned Red Dwarf. Um, and uh, they board it. There's frozen dead bodies all over the floor. I got. I like the set dressing on this was really good. I thought fantastic. You know, I mean, mm. I mean that's probably one of those ones. I mean, I because I know, I think it was for it was in series, series four. Uh, justice world they used they use like when it was still standing it was the old pump house where the tate modern and places like that used to be as, as the sets but you look at some of those places they just find those sorts of places it's all just pipes and stairways and things like that but it's the way they light it and just the simple things they add to it that just you you look at it and think that could so easily be the inside of a, of a spaceship well, it feels grander than like i think it's in some episodes of red dwarf sort of like what you were just saying there jimmy like they take uh, because Red Dwarf is a show, like I'm sure, like a lot of the BBC sci-fi output of the time, the budget I'm guessing isn't necessarily you know sky high, um, but it's the way they utilise what they do have, and it look it gen like this set of the ship they go into looks genuinely very impressive. Yeah, and the and yeah. the way they've made it all frozen as well, it looks really real and genuine. It looks like it is really cold in there, and all the frost and everything. It's a really good effect. But it's mm. wonderful and it's again it's the sim it's the simple things like that you know you don't it goes to show that for their budget one of the things i love watching the old, uh, older episodes of red dwarf or even you know the ones you get into the you know into series seven you look at you look at the set dressings it, either on set or on location and it really is minimal stuff that they use you know these days it's all about you know we've got to light this we've got to put that there we need this special prop built we need you know this lighting we need this to be you know that space there to be cg and you look at that back in those days and it literally was things from ikea just painted gray or just sets with a bit of a bit of ice on them you know fake snow and you just think you didn't what they did with their budget was phenomenal with how they made it look absolutely 
Um, this whole scene is also quite, they've got some dark, ominous music. They go very high in on the kind of tension building aspects, like the way the camera moves quite slowly, got the dark, ominous music. And then it is brilliantly, brilliantly played when then Lister kind of falls to the floor and screams and collapses to his knees. And you know, like what's going on? Is he been attacked by an alien or something? And it, all it is, is that he's had some ice water go down his back completely undercuts the, the tension they've been building up brilliantly. That's what they do so brilliantly in red dwarf. Cause you know, it, they, they build it up, they build it up and they really do make it. And then something like that happens. And, and it's such a, it's such a simple thing. You know, that, everybody the minute lister falls to the ground screaming everyone's like what 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 and then he, he says what it is you know ice water down the back and everybody everybody in the audience watching knows exactly how that felt yes <laughs> yeah. oh god yes i know how that feels <laughs> they find a um preserved woman in a block of ice um a former red dwarf crew member no less which is a mm. nice link back lister uh tries to make out that you know, he's tr- he's trying to make Kachansky jealous, jealous. Really, isn't he? Um, by <laughs> saying that he went out with her, with this other woman, uh, yeah, though he does get her name wrong, and <laughs> you know, just generally trying to get her jealous. And then Crichton, and any uh, what is it? He says, "In fact, whilst I was dating her, the two women in the quarters next door, nicknamed her Carmen Moans, <laughs> you could ask her if she was still alive." Crichton jumps in with, "She is, sir. The life sign appears to be coming from this very spot." Does he? And then he has to massively backtrack and go. Oh, well, she might not remember me immediately. She might have amnesia. Is it ice amnesia? I, I, amnesia causes ice. <laughs> something yeah. ludicrous like that. It's classic Lister, though, isn't it? Trying to pull off something like that and then being caught out for it. <laughs> just trying to be like the, the cool lad trying to ease it off. It, it, Craig Charles just does that so well. Mm. And then there's, I think, isn't there the brilliant quip off that where he says, he, he tries to get Crichton to confirm that. He says, I, you know, it call, ice causes amnesia. And he goes, well, I don't think I've heard that, sir. And he goes, see, it's affecting him already. <laughs> yeah. It's the little quip. quick fire lines like that that just sort of, you know, that really yeah. make it stand out. And it's just, it, those, again, the simplest things in some of the writing of those episodes are just brilliant. <laughs> they take her back to Starbuck, though, but seemingly the ice won't melt. So they all. Well, there's a there is an interesting line there because he says she's cold and unresponsive, and Crichton. This is because up until this point, there there hadn't been any in this episode any animosity between Crichton and Kachansky, which is a thing we've picked up on being a reoccurring thing in most episodes of the series since Kachansky joined. But here it comes back again because he says, "Oh, well, and what about Miss Carmen?" Implying that actually that Lister was talking about Kachansky. Um, yes. we've mentioned before that this little animosity am- between Crichton or the jealousy that Crichton feels is getting a little bit tiring. Mm. And at this point I was like, oh, well, okay. He, it's one little dig. It hasn't, he ha- it hasn't come up in the rest of the episode. Maybe it'll just be this and then that'll be it. But it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Later I'm- on, it comes back with full force. So, um, and the jealousy again, later on i mean we haven't really got to that bit yet but it does it uh, uh, let's deal with it now what what, what can you jimmy what can you remember of, of kachansky and how long has it been since you've seen the rest of this series can you remember I mean, the rest of well I, I know there's you know there's lots of bits of it i know there's i can't i can't remember if it was an episode before or after so minor spoiler alert 
<laughs> Possibly. But there's a bit where they're, they're sat around a table and Kachansky's like, why don't you like me? And then Crichton starts giving her all of these reasons and things like that, how she's not good enough for uh, she's not good enough for Lister and things like that. And I, I, I personally don't mind it. I can certainly understand why it does get a bit tiring. But I think what in this series, certainly, I, I sort of, you know, in a in a fun, good, humoured way, I liked the sort of campness that Crichton had. And I think it was best summed up in Beyond a Joke, where he's referred to that his programming, he's supposed to be this mother hen clucking. And he sort of <laughs> does show that it's, he's not just protective of Lister. He is like an obsessed mother. And so I do think that, you know, it's like he he is, he has become... It, the, the, you know, the whole point of Crichton is he's he's there to look after people. And so you think, you know, it's sort of like he's not he's an android. He's not male. He's not female as such. Um, mm. But the idea is that he's been looking after people and he's he wants to look after people so much to the point. Of course, there is going to be that sort of slightly more obsessive mother quality to him, I think, because it's also worth mentioning that bearing in mind he looked after the people in the Nova Five without knowing they're dead. So he's not he has got a bit of a screw loose, you know. <laughs> so i personally i don't mind the the animosity between them i think it it does it does work well but it's also it's also the fact as well that i think it works well because again kachansky's a very strong character and while she might be she might be a a kachansky from another universe she still knows lister she still knows what lister likes and in many respects she does know what is best for lister and I think it's more that Crichton can't accept the fact that someone else knows how to take care of Lister. He wants it to be solely his job. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's not uh, the sort of... I think my problem with it before, or why I've uh, complained about it, is for me at least, like I don't mind these moments of tension between the two like cropping up. I think it just depends on... like where it's fitting in in that particular episode's story, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, there's been some earlier in this series where they just sort of... Well, it appears they seem to just have a little squabble, but it's not even like... It, it comes so off the cuff, you know, so removed from whatever else is going on. You sort of think, we, you know, we've paused everything else to have the Crichton and Kachansky, you know, variety hour sort of thing. Mm. Whereas in this one, I did enjoy a lot of the quarreling because i've in terms of like the wider story and what was going on it 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 just made a bit more sense to me so i was i was actually fine i mean case in point one of my funniest moments might be a contender for my funniest moment actually is uh jumping slightly ahead is you know when Crichton comes in for his emergency dusting oh um, yes <laughs> robert llewellyn's physical comedy there is is spot on you know the way he barges into the room and he's, he's trying like, to peer around about. him and yeah, yeah. yeah look that was that is that is actually probably, remembering series seven so far, my favourite of the of like Crichton's acts of pettiness, if you like. I just mm. think that it was played so well. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Um before we get to that bit though, first of all we mm. get the woman uh the, it's in the ice, fi- finally cracks and defrosts, but everyone is asleep when this is happening. So um she gets up and we get a very creepy scene. The first thing we see is her very decayed feet hitting mm. the ground um, as she starts to walk. And uh, it, there's, it, there's a sort of point of view shot of her walking through the corridor. Again, it's very creepy, very ominous. The tension is building with yeah. the music. All great stuff. It, it was it was genuinely a little creepy. Like, you know, when we first see, like, see her face and stuff, I was like, wow, they did a great job on the makeup there. 
Yeah. No, absolutely. You... I mean, I'm uh, that the, the scenes of her feet and where she walks in the doorway where the lights aren't on. I do remember those really quite sort of scaring me almost, you know, not quite, but a sort of a, a, you know, appearing through the fingers moment. When yeah. when she's in the room in full light, it wasn't it didn't bother me, but again, it was the it was the darkened lighting and the just the glimpses you see her as she mm. walks and mm. the music. It just really yeah. does make that those scenes creepy. Yeah. And she finds her way to Lister's quarters and uh, crawls into bed with him. He doesn't realise it's her and thinks it's Kachansky because she's kind of sort of ends up sort of spooning behind him. Um, yes. And uh, she starts to undress him, pulls his, pulls his long johns off. <laughs> I just love the fact that he's also just, it must be cold on that ship or something. That's why he sleeps in long johns. But uh and and he's all he's you know liking this because he thinks it's Kachansky. Hmm. I, I thought that was a very funny scene. And then it gets to the point where Crichton then interrupts and he bundles her, still not seeing that it's the decayed other person that they've just rostered. Still think it's Kachansky into his shower covered in the duvet. Um, hmm. And that's when we get the scene of Crichton coming in and fussing around having detected somehow that there was another life form in there and assuming it was Kachansky, much like Lister has. Mm. Yes. Um, and it's this whole physical comedy. Um, it works really well as he's trying to. Um, and throughout all of it, nobody, they don't find her. So they don't work out that it's the the other woman in the thing. And in fact, even when Kachansky walks in the other door, Lister still thinks that she somehow got out of the shower and worked her way around. <laughs> Through, yeah, she yes. got through the vents and down just to get get. Which is a Crichton. nice tie back to Duck Soup because it that is. was where they went up through from there. So they we do know that mm. there are ducks yes, above there. Yes, it was. There, do you know, I've never made that connection before. Yeah, I've never I've never thought about that, but that's yes, well spotted. Oh, that's nice just never occurred to me. There you go, learning something <laughs> new. <laughs> um, we did get that. This was where. Um, Crichton was being and this is the one moment where I thought it was a little bit too much where he was the jealousy okay. again because he does go he goes into that oh like oh you're going you like her more than me uh high pitched yeah. bit and I, I really did like the fussing around and looking for her and stuff and that kind of aspect to it but when he got to that bit and in fact I think Lister uh epitomized my thoughts on it perfectly when he said the line not again man <laughs> yeah yes yeah, I think with 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 that gag, the high pitched Crichton, like I think it was this series, wasn't it? When we, yeah, it was. Of course, it is uh, where we first heard that, and the first time I think me and Phil both said we did, we found it really, really funny. Mm. Um, I think for me, I, I enjoyed it a little, but I think it's that I don't know the exact phrasing, but you know what they say about comedy, like when you sort of repeat the joke too often, too quickly. Oh, to, uh, um, uh, dissecting a joke's a bit like dissecting a frog. No one's that interested, and the frog dies. <laughs> That that's the yeah that's the one yeah, um and it reminded me do you remember like in I think it started in series five I might be wrong but series five or six Rimmer had the running thing of every week he'd have a new you know space core space directive. directive yes and I said to Phil um like the first one two three whatever they were I did genuinely find them really funny mm. but then I think I said towards the end of that series they either seemed to be running out of <laughs> steam as to what you know what 
the directive actually is going to be. Mm. And because they were doing it once every episode, for me at least, I know the people love it, but it just sort of took the fun out of it. Do you know what I mean? No, it I, just, can, it was too, I can understand yeah. that. But it's it, what's just going to be, it's an inter- in, interesting concept. Is, is Rimmer says the Space Corps directive, Crichton comes out with a comeback, and then Rimmer says the actual directive. But it's interesting mm. that at that point, when Rimmer says Space Corps directive, da, 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 you know that Crichton was going to come along with an absolute zinger. Uh, but it's mm. interesting then is now Crichton's become the one that's that's you know they they've sort of shifted. I feel like in a way they shift once you lost uh, Rimmer is you had Kachansky come in, but obviously Kachansky couldn't take Rimmer's place. So that kind of dynamic of annoyance, I call it, between Rimmer <laughs> and Lis- Lister had mm. to go to somebody else, yeah. and you couldn't put it on the cat because the cat wasn't. The cat's not intelligent enough to do that. The cat doesn't <laughs> yeah. realise he's being ignorant half the time. You needed someone who was realising they're being ignorant. And I feel like they shifted that on to Crichton a bit, which doesn't necessarily work because all of the past we've seen of Crichton, he is meant to be the science officer, the intelligent one. So it's, you know, there it, it's it's mm. odd that he's suddenly become this figure of annoyance, you know, in, in terms of the way the show was written. But in a way, it's because you've suddenly got science officer Kachansky's taken over Crichton's role. So Crichton's obviously still intelligent, but then you've got to have those you effectively it's like you said, like the you know, the bunk scenes between Rimmer and Lister. Once you'd lost those, you had the cockpit scenes, fair enough. But once you lost Rimmer, you had to have someone else to replace mm. Rimmer. And I think they tried to do that with Crichton. Yes. Oh, yeah. Lister, um, as I said, Lister thinks that Kachansky has escaped from the chair. So when, when Crichton then leaves the room and is like, what? Well, I'm sorry, he scuttles off. He, Lister's quite keen to get back to where he thinks they were a minute ago. Yes. <laughs> and he just goes straight for unbuttoning her dress. She's in a kind of like half asleep, dazed, confused. It's like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and mm. um, and he's he's quite forthright about it. <laughs> He's like, yes. what he says? He says, let's hit, come on, let's hit the springs. And that's like when that. she punches him in the face. Absolutely yes. decks him for being a... Quite <laughs> being rightly a, so. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Although, not not defending his actions, but it did produce one of the my potential funniest lines, is where he said, let's get back to it, I'll get my Batman outfit. Mm. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's just because it was so unexpected. And just the image of, bless him, Craig Charles in a in like a, you know, 60s Adam West Batman outfit well, just really made me laugh. Isn't that a callback to Series 3? With uh, I cannot remember the name of the, Camille or not series four when Lister okay. sees his version of Camille and I'm pretty sure he mentions about slipping into a Batman outfit. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's ring- yeah. No, that's true. That I, I, I think it's that episode I'm thinking of. But I, I was just because that's again, it's just occurred to me that I was thinking I, I'm sure that line was used more than once. Yeah, Great. now that you've said it, it's like ringing bells in my head. I'm going, yeah, now that now that does sound familiar. I like the fact that that's it's. It, that's, I don't know whether it's funny or it's troubling that that's Lister's go-to <laughs> outfit. Yeah, he's clearly got a bit of a role-play kink. He wants yes. to um, he, he superheroes likes, likes a bit of superhero action in the bedroom. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm. We're not here to judge. No, no, uh, no. Each for different folks, you yeah. know. So and uh, I, you know, I feel a bit sorry for him here as well because, as far as he's concerned, he's continuing where they were just a second ago. And uh, but I, you know, so I kind of understand both their perspectives. But which is where the comedy comes from. It's just a complete 
miscommunication and mm. um, one of those farces of mistaken identities. It's good. It does um, work very well. Oh, what I do, what I do love is when um, Crichton comes in and sort of, uh, well, sort of sees the aftermath. Again, another line that made me chuckle, just because again, what Red Dwarf I think does so brilliantly. I think you said it earlier, Jimmy. Sometimes they just come out with these lines that you're never expecting in a million years, but mm. they just they just tickle you somehow. It was when. I think he says, oh, are you all right? And he says, oh, how do you feel? I've just been, what was it, molested by Tutankhamun's horny grandma. Yes. Oh, yeah. This is like... after he's finally worked out what who was in his shower because he get he he still thinks oh, it was yes. cat. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes, yeah. he's like, oh, I'm just going to go back to bed. Oh, my duvet is still in the shower. And he yeah. goes to get the duvet. And then he gets attacked by this thing who literally pins him to the floor and forces its tongue down his throat. It was a bit grim. It's, yeah. yeah. A bit grim. <laughs> a little bit grim. Um, mm. thus if infecting him with the uh, epideme protein before dying um, and that's and we get we find out a bit of exposition about what this thing does in the medical bay and, uh, and the fact that it was developed as a nicotine uh, sort of suppressant and uh, to stop people being addicted to nicotine but it mm. massively backfired and, and somehow stopped them, basically killed you within 40, kills you within 48 hours. Mm, and it's yeah. an intelligent virus. Weirdly, not that far-fetched from reality, though, is they, that things like that have happened in the world of science, that things are yeah, created yeah. that are used for for um, something that are then have better uses for other things, you know? So it's I mm. like the fact that there is an element of, it sounds silly, but actually you know does make sense that it could be possible that something like that could happen that something that's created to help people actually is far worse for them yes what is maybe less um possible in the real world is that you could then hook up a machine to it talk to it and it sounds like an american dj host and a great big hi to all of you out there in flesh and bloodland and tonight dave lister assisting vending machine self-operative and spice food connoisseur this is your death yes (laughs) oh my god (laughs) which is what they do because Crichton suggests reasoning with this intelligent virus so they hook up a machine and it does sound this great American DJ voice, like "Hey, welcome to," and it sounds like he's it, got... it reminded me of all those classic like American game show hosts from like the seventies. You know, they all talk in that sort of that sort well, of style. Well, you've won these fabulous prizes. What what's the classic cliche? Is it like you've just won a new car or something like that? Oh, well, <laughs> Dave Lister, let's see what he's won. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you an interesting yeah. little little bit of trivia, if I may, for those of us of a certain no, generation, I think phil might remember this i'm not sure if adam will but do you remember the <laughs> original uh cbbc dennis the menace cartoon oh i remember that yeah, 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 yeah. i think so yeah the guy that does yeah. the voice of epideme did the voice for a lot of the characters in that like pie oh, face and, and a load of other people because and he's also because he was on it's on the behind the scenes on one of the dvds he was the voice of uh the honey monster in the 90s as well for honey Nut. oh the... was that when they had the phrase uh, don't forget the honey mummy yeah or whatever it was yeah yeah oh, and that's, the that's, honey monster that's, that's used to terrify the same guy. <laughs> i used to hate the honey monster he, i don't know it's what it, i mean i was only like three or four so i guess you know that deep voice and that big cut yeah ter- <laughs> terrifying on par with mr blobby it's um the actor is gary martin i'm that's on his, his imdb yes. now he's quite a prolific um voice artist he's done loads of stuff he was in he was in Mm. what i presume was a director vhs never ending story three return to fantasia there's Um, a wait there's a third one there is a third one no there was a second it's still going on don't you know (laughs) it never ends yeah it's the never ending story uh he's he voiced somebody in well 
uh, probably was under prosthetics in Space Precinct. Uh, mm. Yeah, and he's done lots of um, other voice work for video games and such uh, and animated shows over the years. So He's the British uh, Nolan North. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. He he did remind me when he first came on a little bit. When I first, I did, I did have to look it up and I realised it wasn't the same guy. But it, it reminded me a little bit of Talky Toaster. Yes, he does oh, actually. <laughs> Yes. When he first came up. It's been a while since we've heard Talky Toaster's tones. Because well, wasn't is. Talky Toaster, I mean, you've probably discussed this, Talky Toaster was David Ross, who was Crichton, wasn't he? Mm. The original mm. Crichton. Yeah, the first original Crichton. So mm. I, for a brief second, I wondered if they brought him back again for this, and then I looked it up on IMDb and realised they hadn't. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they do sound very similar. They both yeah, got well, that sort that of game kind of, show host yeah, vibe to the them. style. Yeah. Um, he, he, the the intelligent uh, virus kind of has a they have a bit of an intellectual standoff on on whether or not what the virus is doing is right, and he compares what he's doing with what Dave does when he eats chicken. You know, mm. you, you killed mm. the chicken and you're eating it to live. I'm killing you to live. You know, it's the yes. same thing. Yeah, it is a it, Mor- it is a bit of a naughty point because when you think about it, it's like if that epidemic virus is the only one, then technically killing it's an act of genocide. I don't wish to get really deep, but it's, <laughs> it is actually when you look at it, you look at it and think you don't want Lister to die, but epidemic's got a point. <laughs> mm. Yeah, uh, but then again, same the other way around. You know, uh, Lister well, is the last why? human. It is uh, also genocide to uh, to kill him. So. Very much so. Well, actually, to be fair. Is is Lister the last human? Because Kachansky's there. Well, that's true. That's Good point. True. Last original yeah. human from that universe. Yes, <laughs> last, the last original, original de- human. Human of that dimension. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what they come up with is a plan to force the virus into his arm and then mm. chop it off. Um, <laughs> I, like, I, got, I did giggle when um, Kachansky says, uh, let's go chop, chop, and then sort of realizes what she does. Like, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Very quick. <laughs> now, did you pick up on the link to a really old episode here, uh, Adam, or indeed Ooh. Jimmy? Wait, wait, when they're discussing about well, just the his whole arm off, or? situation of an arm being chopped off. Of yes, I do. Now, I now it you you, you remind me oh. of it. Yes, I do. It's never yeah. mentioned yeah. though, is it? It's no. never brought up again. No, you'll have to spark me. It's not coming to me. I don't blame you because it is right back at the beginning. I think it was the second or third episode, Future Echoes, where we get a future, a vision of a future uh, Lister who has a robotic arm. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Oh, God. So we've mentioned this before, Jimmy, but we've realized that, like, you know, so the, the tiniest pieces of continuity mm. they'll decide to pick up years later, but then some really big bits of continuity, they'll just be like, nah, we'll ignore that. Yeah. Well, is it like <laughs> so, the classic one that always sticks in my mind is how there's suddenly a thousand extra people on board the ship in, yes. um, yeah. in Justice World. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, exactly. But yeah, no, but the, the, the arm lister, that was one of those ones that, again, for years, it never occurred to me. And I think it's because it's, it's never, it's never mentioned. Um, yeah. Cause but, you would think he would go some, like in, in realizing that he's got going to have his arm chopped off, you would think he would go, Oh, I did have that vision. You know, when we saw the, our future selves, he didn't well, have that. He had lost an arm. The thing that, the thing that, st- that, that I thought they missed the trick um, with that, while we brought it up again, minor spoiler alert adam is okay. um in one of the future episodes there is uh, a scene where where lister is is th- fitted with a, a prosthetic to try and replace the arm 
and it's mm. bright pink for some reason and i've never understood that because it's meant to be one of uh it's oh no it's not one of Crichton's spares but anyway but when you look at the design of the arm it does look similar to the one from series two and i always questioned why they didn't paint the arm silver as a reference to that <laughs> yeah yeah very strange. Although I suppose in that episode he was meant to be like 170 years old. He probably went for a few arms in between. This is true. Uh, you probably, know, replacement maybe, arms yeah, gradually. Yeah. Um, but you know, I liked the fact that they, even if it, even if they don't reference it, mm. you know, it's a nice little like, ah, oh, okay, I see what they, you know, I, d I don't know if they were even rem like remembered they'd done it. I don't think they did because I just think when you said about Lister being aged 172 or whatever, again, there's another episode where, um, oh, I think, again, sorry, minor spoiler alert, <laughs> for series eight, I think there is one where they ask, without going into too much detail, they bring up uh, how old Lister is when he dies and he's like 100 and something, he's only like 103 or something. Uh, okay. So I think they probably didn't think about the arm because I know that they haven't thought about that reference but again i kind of like the idea that you know it's it is red dwarf things have changed you know that you've got them swapping ch jumping realities and different versions yeah so, they've done a lot of time you know, travel as it could well, be anything so, yeah yeah they've, they've changed their own timeline so many times that mm. that, that that explains a lot to be honest yes in the continuity if you wanted to so the, he insists that it is his left arm because he does a lot of stuff with his right arm and um I, I think we're meant to um, imagine what he might do with his right arm. Obviously, Play guitar. He, the guitar. he plays guitar. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't do anything yeah, else. Doesn't do anything else with it. He plays <laughs> guitar. Bad. Holds a bit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I and then, but during the operation, the they're trying to basically inject him with stuff that then herds it, herds the virus into his arm, and it kind of subverts where they're trying to herd it, and they end up mm. having to herd it into his right arm. Uh, the one he yeah. doesn't want chopped off. And so they have to chop that one up as well. And then when he wakes up, he has this m sort of looks to he the arm they were going to chop off. And he's oh, like, thank still God. There. <laughs> he's like, oh, they found another way or something. That's the kind of expression on his face. And then he sees <laughs> his right arm's been chopped off. I'm, I may have dreamt this, but I seem to remember many, many years ago, I, I read... Uh, it was an article that somebody had done. Apparently they had interviewed um, Doug Naylor and apparently the original joke that, or one of the proposed jokes that he thought of, whether it made it into a script or not, was that they were going to try and get it into Lister's arm and he wakes up and he, and he realises, oh, thank God, I've got both my arms. And then he gets out of bed and he falls to the floor and they've had to cut off one of his legs. Uh, <laughs> and I look at it okay. and think, that would have been a really good joke. That would have been actually really. That would have been really, really good. You know but what? I can kind of understand why they didn't do that. But if 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 it was indeed the case, because it would have been a hell of a lot more difficult for them to hide one of Craig Charles's legs than one of his arms. Yeah, but I, I actually, when you were telling that story, I thought you were going to go down a completely different and much more no, no, no. Uh, route and say I that they that had, had to, to chop off something, yeah. something else off. <laughs> yeah, probably. The joke I did like of this, though, was like when he realizes that they've cut the other arm off, the arm he didn't want to cut off, he's like, My left arm? My left arm, I said. That's my right. What kind of navigation officer can't tell left from right? Yeah. That did get and a chuckle out of me. Ju just, his, just his whole reaction to, you, you know, when he first sees it and he was like, My right, uh, my right arm? Uh, my left arm, I said. <laughs> you know, so it was a great reaction to. 
to that. It's yeah. just the sort of that. I mean, that's again, it's very true to life. I think of people. People are probably they would have that reaction. You do, you know, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's acted very well. You know, it's it's quite um for for a scene that's meant to be sort of quite traumatic. It's acted in a very funny way. I think it's it's, mm. it's very well very well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was all for vain though, uh, because seven percent of the virus managed to make it back into his body. So. He's still going to yeah. die. It's bought him an extra whole 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so it was all for naught. <laughs> uh, and he doesn't want to yeah. He doesn't want to go through that. He doesn't want to be turned into a horrible zombie to then bite or try and snog one of his friends. I think he says, like, I'm either going to end up snogging, putting my tongue down either Cat or you to Kachansky and mm. turning you into one of these. So he goes off to blow himself up on the ship, basically, on the other ship. Yes. Just backtrack it slightly. I'm trying to remember, isn't it? Doesn't the cat have one of those brilliant lines as well where he says, like, what am I supposed to do with 50 minutes? And he says, have half a juggling lesson or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, one of those yeah. classic cat lines. Yeah, we yeah. haven't talked about cat much in this episode. He doesn't, he kind of pops he in and says the occasional lot, line, no. but he's not massively... Um, we, yeah, it's like our returning criticism, isn't it? Or criticism or talking point. Like we we noted Jimmy in the in the early seasons, in, probably more prominently in the early seasons, that Cat feel often you know never had much to do. Mm. He just sort of turns up for his uh, zingy one liners, and that's about it. Which you know is is fine, but especially when he, he feels like more of a regular part of the crew from when they lose the main ship, Red Dwarf. You know, and it's all on Starbug. Mm. But yeah, there's yeah, still moments where it, it, got, it feels it like it got better he, when they lost Red Dwarf, and he kind of he kind of featured a bit more. He came into his own because like, they gave him more to do. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's actually it's one of the one of the things that I thought was a, a shame about this series is um, I cannot remember the name of it, and I don't know whether you're aware of this, Adam. But there was supposed to be a cat centric episode yes Indeed. we've just uh we, we recorded not long ago the commentary for the missing episode yes because it's on one of the dvds so yeah Which... we, we, i think we both said didn't we phil we wished it it had got yeah because really. it was in this season it was um it was one of the scripts the duck for this soup season. replacement mm. yeah and i think they did they it. did adapt it for one of the more recent dave seasons like if oh, memory okay. serves i don't Ooh. think it's exactly the same but they did sort of do something a bit so they, they they had elements of it but when you actually look at the, the missing episode you look at it and think why why, why didn't you do this instead you yeah. know it would have been a yeah, brilliant yeah, yeah. episode I mean, it, from from what everything says about it it got cancelled because of budget reasons and mm. it was just too expensive to make it had a lot of gelf in it when you look um, at the storyboard version you yeah. can see why Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was a shame to lose that from this series because Cat. I think this series, especially since Kachansky has come on board, has kind of fallen to the background again. He kind of like he'd come up a bit in series six and became a bit more prominent. He didn't get his own storyline so much, but he was there as a presence a bit more, more than just zingy one-liners. But he's kind of fallen back a bit to that again since Kachansky came on board, unfortunately. Yeah, he's sort of relegated to you know he's the, the exposition sort of side of things. You know, he's he's he's. I think the idea is probably that he's sat there, he's flying the ship, he's you know somebody's got to be in control of something. But you sort of do feel like, well, was that because they needed to? It was assumed that he was flying the ship, or was it because they didn't have a lot for him to to do? You know, so they had to say, oh, he's off doing this. Yeah, mm. yeah. So Lister goes to blow himself up and the the virus tries to convince him not to. Um, and uh, eventually the virus lets slip that the crew were very close to finding a cure 
And initially, I was like, why would he tell him that? Mm. I mean, I get he wants to stop him blowing him up, but and uh, we do find out it's because the virus thinks that they can't get to the cure quick enough. Mm. Um, but actually, so Lister goes back to Red Dwarf, uh, not Red Dwarf, Starbug, and they Crichton tricks the virus into giving them a formula for speeding up the ship um by kind of uh, appealing to his ego and the fact mm. that he knows everything because he part of this virus the features of this virus is that he picks up all the knowledge of everybody it infects so um he kind of he plays on his ego and tricks him into giving up the information about how to make it faster so that they can get to where the virus um has been yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love the little um ep- in, I think it's in this scene where Epidemi does they're asking him questions and he does a little uh he does a little old classic British TV close down reference, you know, where he's like I think he's talking about when Lister dies and he's like and that's all. Good night and then he starts singing God save the yes. queen. You know, I'd, uh, for someone who's a bit of a TV history, bit of a geek and nerd <laughs> for eye dents and close downs, that was a very special little reference for me there, but um yeah, no, I I liked it. You know, again, very, very tongue in cheek, of course, but yeah. I mean, it's. Well I'm done. almost inclined to say it probably wasn't that long. When was the well, last time they used that on television? It probably wasn't that long. Funnily enough, I, I don't know the exact dates, but this went out in I think the first few months of 1997, mm. and that same year was actually the last year that they used the traditional close down on BBC One. Um, I'm not sure when in the year it got phased out. Could have been before, could have been after. Mm. So, yeah, I suppose you're right. But it would yeah, have been at, in. It would have been time. in people's. You know, it would have been one of those things that you look back on it now, and and people, yeah, people wouldn't yeah. Uh, understand the reference. But I suppose at, at the time, it was one of those things that people would have. It's, it was there. It's there yeah. As a joke. yeah, for any younger uh, listeners that we may have, um, there was a time when there was, was no BBC, but there was no television yeah, after a television certain time. stopped a certain <laughs> yes. time of night. C-fax, and yes. text. Yeah, it went yeah. to. Now we're going to have to explain what CFAX is. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, uh, it was it was like press the red button. Yeah, basically, yes, but, but a yeah. lot less um, visual, sophisticated. Yes. yes. Yeah. So if yeah. you want to know more about CFAX, there's a video on my channel, a brief history. You can go and check that. <laughs> Dude, shameless check that out. plug. Shameless Say what, plug. Remind me when this episode goes out, and I'll put the link in on the YouTube Sound description man. below. Um, <laughs> we love a shameless plug on. This why, show, not? So. why not? Absolutely. Uh, why not? We'll have both forgotten about it by the time because we record these about six probably. weeks in advance so we'll have both forgotten about it by the time i actually come around to putting this out but um yeah so tv linear tv that even that is a concept that i barely watch any linear tv these days um for any younger viewers list, listening um that's that's what that was tv stopped and was. you just got text yep. on the screen for the rest of the night it was their subtle way of saying, go to bed, you absolutely, yes. <laughs> just go to bed. <laughs> so, yeah. Was it, was it just a hop, hop series for a minute? That reminds me, isn't there a, there's a joke in that about the young ones, like, what's that, what's that white dot? And he was like, it means there's no more telly, go to bed. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great joke. When they get Please. to the place where the solution to the virus is meant to be, though, they find that it's all already been destroyed. And actually, this was another trick by the virus. And actually, there's no... Uh, cure there so they're still in a, a pretty screwy position personal personal little shout out here i want to give for one of the few times they reused a model shot in series seven 
because um, oh, they used it, it they used the model shot of Starbuck across the planet and again those model shots in in the early ones and in the later ones it's very much things like that combined with my uh love of, of things like model railways and stuff like that that my granddad installed me but it was those sorts of model shots on television are what got me into arts and crafts so uh, seeing those pop up again the few times in series seven was always brilliant because they looked so much better than the, the original CG they used back yeah. in the day. We've said throughout this <laughs> podcast that the model work on this show is always absolutely top-notch. Ab- yeah. Absolutely stunning. Fantastic. Um, and it it's does. such a shame when they start using more CGI because the CGI yeah. doesn't hold up anywhere near as well as the model shots do. No, I no, remember I remember the CG was, was very... You looked at it at the time, you were like, wow, you know, but you look back on it now and you think, ugh. <laughs> Yeah. I guess that's the main problem with CG is like a technology, isn't it? Yeah. In the early days, you know, as you say, quite rightly at the time, you go, wow, this is because I guess people had never seen it before mm. or seen something like that. But now, obviously, with the huge advancements we've made where CG in some cases can almost look real, you know, um, it, yeah, you look back on the poor old Starbug CG model and go, ah, oh, yes. Yeah. What do you think about CG now? Days. Do you think we're still do you think because like we said in the 90s, we were like, wow, this is really good. And now, mm. to CG now, we're like, wow, this is really good. But are we at a point where it will age well in 20 years I with think... the current CG? Or are we just mm. being, you know, wowed by the current technology? But in 20 years, we'll go, yeah, I can't believe we thought that looked good. Now, I think yeah. the current, I think we are, have actually got to a point. Because funny enough, I saw earlier on Twitter, I can't remember what it was, but it was an advert for a new Matrix game. And it had Keanu Reeves advertising it. And you actually realise it's not actually Keanu Reeves. It is a CG version of him. And it's got oh, to wow. the point now where my my role was... It, my role, my thoughts were when the role of a human is... You know, you have a CG human or you have a real person. Is That was the, that was the thing for me is you can always tell when a CG person is a CG person. They just don't look that human. But then I've seen that video literally today and I've thought, actually, we might be at that point now where CG will hold up because of what it does. Um, But even so, I have to say, just, you know, how what series eight was 98, 99, even just a couple of years later. The CG jump from series seven to series eight, I think is actually really good. When you watch series eight, the exterior shots of, of Red Dwarf, you can really see that there was a leap in technology between those two. So, um, yeah, I think and actually like if if these shows hadn't done it and if TV and movies at the time hadn't done the, the CGI that we look back on now and go, that's really ropey. It doesn't hold up. Mm. They never would have progressed. If they'd just gone, oh, this looks rubbish. We won't bother doing it. Then they never would have gotten better at it. And we would never would have got to the stage of CG where we are now. Exactly. You know, these things are a product of their time, but I, I look at them and I think there's, there is an element of, you look at it compared today and you think that does look rubbish, but you look at it again at the time it happened for those of us that remember it, it was an amazing thing, and it is a benchmark of, of how far that's come. So whilst it might not stand up today, it still has a wow factor for, I can't believe they did that at the time. So going back to the episode, the uh, they, they're in a bit of a dire situation. Kachansky has one final plan that she suddenly comes to her, and she rushes out of the room and comes back in, and she, when she stops Lister's heart, uh, killing him. 
which then sort of activates the virus's control of his body. And she has her hand right by his sort of on his chest. So he just leans forward and bites her arm and thus infecting her arm. But and transferring all of the virus into that and out of out of Lister. But it's a fake arm. Well, it's dun, not dun, a fake dun. arm. It's a real arm. It's just, <laughs> it's just not her real arm. <laughs> it's the real arm of the body they found at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Brilliant. Is, I, I, I quite liked it. I quite liked the sort of reveal. I mean, call me simple or whatever. But when she when she was doing it, first I was like, okay, so is this going to be like a recurring thing that both uh, Lister and Kachansky don't have an arm? But then it was as I was like, she's not exactly wincing at this, is she? And yeah, then, she I chops know, it I, off. I liked it. Um, yeah. The fake arm off, not revealing yet that it's not her arm. Mm. Um, until yeah. after everybody goes, <gasps> and then she yeah. pulls out. No, I liked arm. it. I, I've, I've, I've found it quite funny, the reveal. So. I think I think my favourite bit of that scene is is the reactions. Is the classic thing of the yeah. cat. Danny John Jules does one of his perfect pratfalls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, and then you see him on the floor still pointing. Frozen, and again, yeah, yeah. Robert Llewellyn does his one of his fantastic phys- bits of physical comedy, you know, as his shock and surprise. Um, mm. That's that's what make I think that's what I like most about that scene. It is it is the reactions, just absolutely fantastic. My my funniest <laughs> bit of this scene it comes a couple of moments later where they've like, yes, we've defeated them. They walk over Cat's body, who's because he's fainted, uh, and head out yeah. the door. And then they realise that they need to revive Lister. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like... <gasps> yeah. And, and also it's... They just left him there. It's really nice because actually they've had this animosity. And this is where the animosity does work in this episode because they've had this animosity throughout the whole episode. And as they're leaving the room, they kind of have this kind of like moment of coming together and like, oh no, you're all right, actually. Mm. Crichton has bad. to accept that he's been wrong about her to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> And that's when they realise that they've left it. And it's just like, it adds to that comedy moment. That and that's, they have, that, that they have me, just gone, have gone and made up. And that's when that happens. And that for me is one of the few times I think I actually liked Crichton's high pitchness is he leaves the room and then there's a beat and then you just hear him scream, Mr. Lister. <laughs> and that's one of the few yeah. times I think that works because it, and I think it's one of those classic things, it works because it happens off screen. If you'd seen mm. him do that on screen, it wouldn't have been as funny. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then they revive Lister and then we get a to be continued. Not often we get one yes. of those. Yes. Yeah, not often. So, I mean, I mean, for me, again, this is my first time going through it. And well, I know episode eight is the finale of series seven. So I'm thinking, is this the to be continued? Is that implying is Epideme going to somehow, you know, re- return somehow? Or or is it just in terms of to be continued for like Lister now being armless? Or yeah, I mean, call me intrigued. I'm, yeah. yeah. I don't need to worry about him. He's armless. <laughs> uh, very, very good very good hire me as a script writer red off no don't oh, that's a terrible joke um <laughs> i'm sure between us we could rustle up a script of some kind we absolutely could <laughs> well they i i said this on twitter the other day um in response to a big finish tweet that they said oh do we make too much audio drama and i said not until you've done some red dwarf yes Come on. yes we can get we can yeah. get some good red dwarf audio dramas i think definitely i mean absolutely. you'd have you'd, you'd be I, I, personally, 
because obviously, you know, the cast obviously all do things. It would be brilliant if you could get full cast, but I don't know if either of you have ever listened to the audiobook versions of um, Better Than Life and uh, Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers. I've heard clips. Personally, I would just be happy if they just got Chris Barry and did like some <laughs> short trips from for, for Red Dwarf because... He yeah. can do all of the characters. He's brilliant at it. Yeah, we we <laughs> mentioned this when we recorded the the lost episode, the cat centric one, because obviously oh, course, on yes, the, the DVD it. version of that, yeah, and he just he does them mm. all so well. So let's move on to our regular features, which are uh, that we pick a uh, favorite, mo- no, sorry, a favorite character in the episode and a funniest moment. Um, favorite character first, Jimmy. Do you have one? Um, I actually would have to probably say Crichton simply because uh, I think it's it, it's not just this particular episode. Um, it's all of Series 7. You know, we talked about Robert Llewellyn's physical comedy, but I think this one is one of those ones where he has some of those brilliant moments. You know, the shock of seeing, you know, the arm, his reaction to Kachansky suddenly walking in after he thinks he's found Lister. But as you mentioned earlier, it's the moment where he... He's trying to get past Lister in the corridor. And I just think, for me, it really is, it has to be Crichton because he has some fan, he has some brilliant moments in these. He has his moments of slight annoyance that we've talked about, but I think it is, this is one of those episodes that shows Robert Llewellyn's ability to, to just make Crichton he, he just, he's brilliant in whatever scene you put him in. You know, he, he's either, he's either mm. something physical or he's got some fantastic lines, or he's there to explain a bit of exposition. And I think, you know, whilst the exposition is a little bit lacking, and he does have a few zingers, I certainly think that this is definitely one of his more moments where you can see the physical comedy of the character. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Adam? I'm going to give it to Epidemia, you know. Um, the the our title character. I just uh, even though I like we mentioned it and it is like corny in a way, but it works so well. Just that sort of classic American DJ game show host vibe and all the little references and the close. I mean, let's be face it. If you know my chant, the close down reference probably would have clinched it for me alone. But um, no, I just love that portrayal as much as I love the regular cast. I do like it when we get a guest character who is who is as as interesting if you like or if not more if that makes sense because sometimes i feel we get some guest characters that you know are there and they serve the story but they they don't eclipse the main cast in terms of like the comedy or the appeal but no i found epidemic to be right up there for me yeah i'm gonna go for yeah, epidemic too um oh, nice. yeah i think it's not often we get a chance to give it to a guest character really so um mm. Crichton definitely is a contender he has some great moments in this um but i'm almost positive there will be other episodes that i will want to give it to Crichton. so given Very that epidemic is so good in this one as well um and i really like the the start and the the kind of the banter and the uh the snarkiness of him oh uh, yeah i'm gonna give it to him too um nice. what about funniest moments jimmy I mean, funniest moments i think i i do i do like the whole scene between caroline carmen and uh, Lister, but it's actually it's not necessarily the scene itself. The reason it's I think it's it's funny is because it's actually it's not only is the scene itself well done for something that starts off quite frightening. They then put a lot of it goes through several stages of comedy. It goes through funny, disgust, you know, and then surprise. There's there's a lot of it packed into the one scene. 
Um, and I think it, it touches on many different elements of comedy, and I think that's why it works well. But it's also, one of the things I love is is actually a bit of the behind-the-scenes info, if I can go into trivia mode for a second. Yeah, we love um, a bit of is, trivia on this podcast. Uh, the, 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 the scene of, the, the, the bit where uh, she's snogging Lister and he ends up, basically taking her teeth out accident you know he ends up with a decayed teeth in her mouth and he spits them out that was actually improvised on set by craig childs uh he, he was just there saying hey guys what if i did this and everyone found it hilarious so they put it into the script and <laughs> secondly there's a uh, there's an outtake of the scene where right before that happens she throws him onto the floor and uh and then in the outtake, Craig Charles is lying on the floor going, oh, Jesus, like that. And the actress gets really worried that she's hurt him. And he goes, no, I'm only acting. It's fine. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, it, I think too, it's, too it is just one of those committed. scenes that it's just got, it's got a bit of everything in it. And I think that's why it's, it's funny to me is it's, it's one of those scenes that it's, you, can, you can find it funny on many different levels. And I think that's why it works well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is a good moment. Talking of trivia... Um, before we get to to your funniest moment, um, Adam, the uh, the role of Epideme uh, from the IMDb trivia page, this is was apparently originally intended by the writer to be voiced by Patrick Stewart, uh, who sh- had showed an interest as a fan of the show, um, but Doug Naylor thought that it wouldn't quite work with with Patrick's kind of Shakespearean type delivery and that the virus should therefore be more like game show esque. And that's when they cast Gary Martin. But I mean, I would have loved, like, I don't, I don't know what stage this happened, but if they'd gotten Patrick Stewart in to do a test for it or something like that, I would love to hear that. That, that sounds mm. like a, that sounds like a, some sort of YouTube video redub waiting to happen. Somebody just yes. go out and find <laughs> everything that Patrick Stewart's ever done realistically not possible but and you just go and pick out the lines that fit best into that scene and you just redub it with Patrick yeah. Stewart or if anybody's just a really good Patrick Stewart impersonator yes. out there uh, you can do it as well that's fine <laughs> that would be brilliant <laughs> Adam what's your funniest moment my funniest moment is actually just a single joke that I don't think we we went over or I didn't mention at the time it's near the beginning it's when they go to the the ship where which is all frozen over um, and they're prying the door, and Lister says, This place is harder to get into than an airline chicken, Kiev. And I found that the funniest because I have had that exact problem with that exact meal, would you believe, <laughs> on an airline. Um, if anyone, what was the airline? I can't remember. Which, was it, uh, it might have been EasyJet, possibly. Um, but yeah, Other I, airlines we had a chicken Kiev. <laughs> Other airlines are indeed available. Um, but yeah, just their chicken kit. Oh my God. It, it's well, one, it was one of probably the worst things I've ever had. And also, it, yeah, to get into it was, you know, because you know, they give you, I don't know if they still do, you know, there's like little plastic knives and forks and, and stuff. Whenever you're trying to do anything. Yeah. And they're just no good. So, but yeah, that, I felt like that joke spoke to my soul a little bit. So <laughs> that was, and it got the biggest laugh out of me, admittedly. There were other contenders that we mentioned, like the Batman suit gag and all that, but. Nah, I've got to give it to the airline chicken Kiev. Yeah, for me, there were there were several contenders in this episode. There were lots of really funny moments in this episode, but I'm going to give it to the um, to the moment that I did mention earlier on, where the Lister tries to make Kachansky jealous by saying that he went out with this person that was is is in this ice block before he knows that she's still alive in inverted commas, 
and uh and the backtracking especially when he finds out that she's still alive that got me laughing out loud so that's my funniest moment very good choice good choice and the last thing we do is give it a mark out of 10 how many scutters out of 10 do we give this episode what about you jimmy i'm inclined to say um six six or seven it's not it's probably not my favorite episode of uh series seven but that's a bit like saying you know pick having three of your top favorite things put in front of you you know it's by no means is it a bad episode um but i think it is it is one of those ones that it's um it's it's got its lines and it's got its fast-paced action in it and things like that but you know when you boil it down and you compare it to some of the other ones it's kind of like we were saying it's kind of like for example there's not a lot of the cat in it and yet he's got some of the best lines in that particular episode he's always got something funny and you know as we said you know it's Crichton's some of Crichton's moments that I you know I don't mind his his mother hen cluckingness but it I can understand why it did great people and I think it is yeah, I would say six or seven. Let's say let's say six point five. If we can have half a scutter, you can indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, just the head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Adam. What about you? Uh, for me, mine's close to Jimmy. I'm going to give it a seven. This one, um, for the reason that you know there were there were lots of strong moments, like some of, especially some of the one liners. Epidem is a character I really liked. Crichton's uh, mother henness, like all the pettiness, the emergency dust dust scene was brilliant. Um, I think the detractions were just like again there were there were, on the flip there were some moments of the comedy that didn't really grab me like that opening scene for example not necessarily like the scene structure um, but just the the jokes within it if you like it just didn't really grip me too too well um, but yeah just but I wasn't like this was an outstanding one but I, yeah I felt I always try and go like when I finish watching an episode I'll always try and think right what is my gut saying number wise and I'll try and stick to it mm. and for this one it was saying a seven. Fair enough. Well, it sounds like I have enjoyed it a little bit more than you guys then, because I've given it an eight out of ten. Oh, um, okay. I, I think it's, I think it is one of my favourite ones of the of the series. There are a few. I think I gave Blue higher, um, and then I think Smoke Me a Clipper, a uh, Clipper is also Stoke Me a Clipper. Sorry, is also possibly higher. But other than that, I think it might be that my third favourite of the series. So far, we've got one more to go, obviously. Um, I thought it was had a really solid sort of plot that everything was hinged on. Um, good sci-fi concept and lots of jokes at, that I found really funny. Sometimes I've said this series, they focused more on the drama than the comedy in some episodes. But this episode kind of had a nice mix of both. Um, mm. So I appreciated that. I li- I, I'm fine with a episode that is slightly more drama but when they get a nice mix that's really good so yeah eight out of ten from me nice yep. solid well that is epideme and we are now one episode left of series seven before we move on to the final series of the original run of red to wolf before its 10 year break so um yeah we're, we're getting on now uh, thank you for and, uh, watching, everybody. Uh, where, Jimmy, where can people find you online? Where can they find you, the stuff you create? Uh, you can find me on YouTube on Captain Jimmy Pie. Um, if you go to my uh, Twitter, also under Captain Jimmy Pie, 
or my Instagram, also under Capture Jimmy Pie. I've actually just signed up to LinkedIn and I've got a link there with all of my different social medias and things on there. So you can find it. But pretty much everything is under Captain Jimmy Pie. So search that and I'm sure I will pop up. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and of course, uh, Adam, where can we find you? Where can you find me? Uh, just Adam Martin, Martin with the Y. I have uh, YouTube as well. Um, like we mentioned earlier, I do videos on Doctor Who, but a lot of other different things as well. And on Twitter, it's just Adam Martin AMTV if you want my daily ramblings and such like. But what about you, Phil? Um, and you can find me on my YouTube channel. Um, as I always say, you might be listening to this podcast here. But if you're not um, and you're listening to it on one of the other platforms, it's just my name, Philip Hawkins. Again, I talk about Doctor Who a lot, uh, but also other things like the MCU, Star Trek, um, and, and anything that takes my fancy, really, that's kind of pop culture, slightly geeky. So uh, do check that out if you haven't already. Thank you for listening, um, and we'll be back next week for another episode. See you then. See you later. Bye.